Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. Through conversations with investors and entrepreneurs, Unseen Upside by Cambridge Associates explores the human impact of investing. Season four focuses on exciting healthcare advancements, promising to improve outcomes and create resilient, patient-centric systems, blending technology and compassion. Meet the minds behind innovation shaping the future of medicine, from drug discovery to the role of AI. Uncover the Unseen Upside, available now. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Lauren. Mike. Lauren, do you subscribe to your car? I have no idea what you mean. <laughs> I mean, I know you have a used car. Yes. And you've held on to it for many years. Yes, Pearl, the old girl. Do you currently pay for any subscriptions in your car? Not unless you count the Spotify I listen to through my somewhat janky aftermarket solution for Bluetooth. So, no, I don't know. I don't subscribe to any element of my car. Well, you may have heard that a lot of people do subscribe to different elements of their cars. I hear that this is a trend. It is. And normally when we talk about cars on this show, we talk about things like EVs or self-driving. But today we are going to talk about the subscriptions that are happening inside of people's cars. I can't wait. <laughs> Let's do it. First deposit five cents. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. We are also joined once again by Wired staff writer Ariane Marshall. Ariane, welcome back. Hello. Hey, Ariane. Thanks for joining us from uh, a closet in Seattle. Yes, so good to be here. So it used to be that when you bought a car, you just picked out the one you wanted, selected the options you wanted to add on to the purchase price. And then when the dealer rang up the total, that's all you had to pay. Now it's becoming more common to pay a base price for a car and then subscribe to the extras. Big stuff like driver assistance features or fast charging capability, and even smaller stuff like heated seats and dash cams can be unlocked in a new car by paying the automaker a yearly or monthly fee. So Ariane, you have written about auto subscriptions for Wired in the past, and we've talked about it on this show a little bit. This week, you have a new story that talks about how this trend is seeping into the used car market. And we'll talk about that. But first, I want to get caught up on subscriptions. Where did subscriptions to unlock features in cars come from? And like, who can we blame here? <laughs> yeah, so this isn't really a new idea. Automakers have kind of been playing with this idea since kind of the, the dawn of the app age. Um, 
they have been very jealous of the high margin business that is software. They're looking at the Googles and the Microsofts and the Amazons of the world and saying, give me a piece of that. Unfortunately for them, automaking is usually a low margin business because they have to design and develop and then manufacture these big hulking vehicles that have to be very, very safe. So they're very interested in subscriptions. Um, they've been offered for a while, but I'd say the, the kind of latest crop of talk about subscriptions really happened over the summer, which is when uh, there started to be uh, news reports in English about a feature that was being offered in South Korea by the German automaker BMW. They were offering there to unlock people's access to heated seats for an $18 a month subscription. This really freaked people out because it created the idea in people's minds that you can have a feature taken away from you um, with the push of a button because it's all controlled by software now. So I, I'd say kind of that's that's the, the latest bit of subscription uh, discourse has happened around BMW and this heated seat thing. I have a theory about that, which is that it's one thing if you're asked to pay for media because we're all pretty accustomed to paying for media. So let's say it's an update that happened in your dashboard and all of a sudden you had to pay a fee to access like maps or another streaming music service like that would make sense to us. But because there is like this this physical element of literally heating your butt <laughs> in a seat, which is a physical good like a cushioned or leather good that you sit on and it's this juxtaposition of like paying for a, a thing or an experience with like our very like physical, the physical experience of being in a car and driving that it like freaks people out more. Yes, I think that's right. I think this is something that the marketing teams at automakers are trying to thread the needle on right now. So this whole heated seat kerfuffle forced BMW North America, which sells cars in North America, to come out and say, hey, in the in the US market, most people actually buy the heated seats when they buy the car. And we promise that we're not going to take away that feature once people buy it. But the uh, subscriptions that are seeing a little more success, it seems, based on my conversations with automakers, are things that have to do with safety, um, getting extra safety features, as Mike mentioned, features that have advanced driver assistance things, things that feel um, maybe a little more techy, a little more software based. I think that's the kind of stuff that that people might be willing to to shell out money for. But it's still definitely an open question. I mean, it also sort of changes the experience of buying a car, right? Because you buy a car now that has all of the stuff in it. It has the capability to have a heated seat or to have a heated uh, rear window defroster. Uh, it has all of the self-driving stuff built in. It just doesn't work and you have to pay to turn it on. And it's like kind of makes you feel cheated when you buy a car if you're not getting all the things that you know it's capable of because they like didn't build you one with all those features in them. They just build one car and you unlock all those features now. Yeah. And Part of the reason automakers like that idea is because it's actually cheaper for them to have less variety in the actual manufacturing and development of vehicles. So if they don't have to make a million different kinds of vehicles for a million different kind of customers, that's actually going to save them money. But yeah, you're right. It does kind of feel like you're being cheated as a customer. The The argument that automakers make, which is kind of the flip side of it, which I buy to a degree, 
is that it also means that your car can keep improving even if it's not a brand new car. Um, if I bought my car in 2020, but there's this really cool new um, safety feature that came out that I'm really interest, interested in, it's possible that I could download it today and pay to download it today and feel like I have a 2023 car, even though I really only have an ancient 2020 car. And one of the updates of that, of course, is that that fixed what happened over the air or over Wi-Fi or a data connection versus having to bring your car into a dealership. But I have to ask, what does all of this mean for repairability? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think something that's kind of working its way through the courts and through uh, legislation. I know, Lauren, you've done a lot of reporting on this. Um, and it's true that automakers want to retain some control here in a way that they didn't always. It used to be that they'd sell a someone who wanted to buy a new car, um, a car, and then they drove it off the lot. And that was kind of the end of the relationship with the automaker. But now um, they want to sort of claw back some of that control um, because there is this continued relationship with the customer that goes beyond that initial walking into the dealership moment. Yeah. What are the sorts of things that a automaker can learn from a customer now with this new paradigm that they couldn't learn under the old paradigm where they had a, a dealer sitting between them and their customer. And also maybe they didn't have as much uh, data about what the customer, the driver in this case, is doing with the car. Yeah, I think that's something they're still working out a bit. Um, but something that automakers are really excited about is opportunities to, um, for example, maybe give you feedback about your driving, um, being able to say like, hey, we could tell that, uh, you know, if you opt in to the like, you know, let's say hypothetical, give me driver tip service, uh, they'd be able to say, hey, you're braking really hard or you're turning really sharply. Uh, you know, maybe maybe think about not doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it's, and the data will show that they're correcting women more than men, too. <laughs> sure, yes. Um, <laughs> a, uh, a whole new world of discrimination lies before us that I personally look forward to. Um, and then also something that is already in cars right now is um, they can have different sort of personalizations for different drivers. So if they know that it's you, Lauren, in the car, they can, you know, adjust the, your seat so it's a little closer and they know uh, because you're a little shorter than Mike um, and they know that you are really into listening to this album right now. So they'll turn that on and they know that you like your uh, vehicle to a certain temperature. So they'll adjust the temperature. So it's just the way Lauren likes it. Um, so there are these sort of personalization features that they can offer to you that they're hoping makes the car a more attractive product. Yeah, my car does none of that right now. I'm pretty okay with it. <laughs> it is a dumb car. I think there's going to yeah. be a market someday for just dumb cars. But also, I mean, there is a an entire conversation about the environment that we would have here on a different podcast, a different episode of this podcast. So yes, my car is not an electric vehicle. It's a gas guzzler. But um, but yeah, my car is like has, has, has none of this. And some of this sounds appealing. And then it also makes me think, okay, so what if I got really comfortable with all of those features and then one day they stopped working? Mm -hmm. Then it's another, it's like another layer of frustration in your life too. Yeah. When I've been having conversations with people 
as part of this story, they always ask me what car I have. And we have a 2008 Toyota Prius. And everyone's like, oh, you're you're off the grid. And it was a we bought it used as well. So like no one knows about us. We're we're really under the radar. <sighs> OK, that's actually a good place to pause, because when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about used cars. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic and asteroids. What's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. <laughs> I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Automakers are deeply in love with subscriptions, and they're feeling that NRE, that new relationship energy. So subscriptions are probably going to be part of car ownership forever at this point. And when I say forever, I really mean forever. These cars that we've been talking about with subscription-enabled features are making their way into the used market now, too. So, Ariane, if, hypothetically, I were to buy a 2021 BMW on the used car lot today, am I going to have to download BMW's app and sign up for some <laughs> services to power my new vehicle? I just can't. My new I used can, vehicle? I cannot picture you in a BMW. I'm just going to put that out there. What, what about if I take off the silly hat and just slick my hair back? Would that help? <laughs> okay. So, Ariane, tell us about how Mike's going to be using his BMW app. Yeah. So, so... BMW would really like Mike to download their app. Um, so the way it works right now is if you go to a certified dealer, so one that's associated with BMW, those guys will probably be like, hey, you want to sign up for some subscriptions? Um, and they also, the way they often do it is they give you a three-month trial. That's This is like tried and true marketing stuff to see if you like it and hopefully convert you to a um customer for life. And then the other way that automakers are hoping to get in contact with used vehicle drivers these days is just by putting out enough marketing that uh, people who have bought a used BMW like Mike will proactively go to the BMW website and be like, huh, I wonder what subscriptions are available for my new used BMW. But 
that's that's losing a, a huge part of the market. That's really kind of only about one third of people buy their used cars that way. So automakers are now starting to think about ways they can reach out to this totally new uh, group of people that they haven't really talked to before, which are used car owners, um, and creating relationships with them. And it's a challenge. And there's the first challenge is finding them. How so? How is that a challenge? Yeah, is there like a dating app for car dealers <laughs> trying to find used car owners? So I spoke to um, some folks with Lexus Nexus Risk Solutions, which is a very long name, um, and it's a data and analytics company. And basically what they do in all, not just for car owners, is they spend a lot of time and money trying to link vast data sets uh, to figure out very specific things about you. Um, and they are now applying this to used vehicles. They are offering automakers, and they won't tell me, of course, who their customers are at this point, but they are they say they're in contact with many global brands. Um, they're offering automakers the opportunity to um, get really specific data about who owns their used cars. So that's one way they can do it. The other way that automakers are experimenting with this is uh, trying to create kind of online communities of used car owners and hosting meetups and having uh, just trying to create communities. And that's another way to reach these used car owners and hopefully try to sell them extra goodies. But it's something they're experimenting with and they're not quite sure how to do it. I think something they do know is that there's money to be made here. What is driving this fervor around used cars? Not necessarily the subscriptions in the used cars, but the used cars themselves. So the reason automakers are more interested in used cars now is because these first generations of these connected cars are now finally trickling down to the used market. But they are facing something right now that's both a good thing for them and a bad thing, which is there's a real shortage of used cars right now on the market. The market is still pretty tight. It was really tight during the pandemic. And the reason that happened is because there's this chip shortage that's still happening throughout the world. And that's making it hard for people to build new cars. So people who might buy new cars are going to the used car market. And that means that there's real competition. The reason this could be good for automakers in a way is A, it's hiking up prices, which is nice for their dealers. And they're happy when their dealers are happy. But also it means that people have a little less brand loyalty when they used to. So when they get to the used car market, they're kind of like, I don't care that I get another Ford. I care that I get a car today. <laughs> that's really what I want. And that's a great opportunity for automakers to kind of recruit new customers who might not have considered their car before. I can also see how the, the trend towards subscriptions is affecting uh, the leasing market. Like if I lease a car for a year, but I never activate anything and then I bring it back to the dealership, the dealership can then lease it out or sell it to somebody as a better car than the one that I drove onto their lot, right? Yeah. And that's, that's this is a line that um, Elon Musk of Tesla and everything else that he does today uh, <laughs> loves to pull, which is he likes to say that Teslas are an appreciating asset because they're going to keep getting better and they're going to be self-driving eventually. I think this is mostly marketing. Um, cars are going to depreciate. They're going to be worth less than they were new. But it's true that 
they could have some fancy new things uh, that they didn't a year ago. And that's kind of cool. Right. I'm curious about your 2008 Prius, Ariane. Have you had to replace the battery since you've gotten that? And how has that counteracted maybe the the price you got for buying a used car? Yeah. So it's a hybrid. So haven't had to deal with that. Um, the the previous owner, who happened to be my brother-in-law, um, <laughs> was having some real issues with catalytic converter thieves on the, the mean streets of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been the big thing that he had to deal with. And then we put a, a guard on it. So hopefully no one will be stealing our catalytic converter. Um, but that's that's a totally separate fun car issue. <laughs> So we already subscribe to way too many things, and now we have to subscribe to things within our car. Uh, I think that a lot of people are already feeling subscription fatigue, and I wonder if that feeling is also permeating into the auto buyer world, like from people you've talked to and from what's going on in the forums. Do you get the sense that people are just like, are you kidding me? I have to subscribe to something else now. Yes, definitely. I think that (laughs) that's definitely the feeling. I will say that people say that. And then the sorts of numbers you see from automakers based on their market research is very different. Um, Of course, the automakers have an incentive to say that their business model is working out really well. Um, But General Motors told us last year that their own research shows that people are willing to pay um, for about $80 a month in uh, subscriptions. And that doesn't count like one-off things where um, a lot of automakers are offering uh, to, for example, in the heated seats thing, it's like, okay, you could just pay for it up front um, for the lifetime of the car. You don't have to pay for it in these sort of monthly installments. Um, and there are a ton of people that use these services and really love them. Um, OnStar, which is uh, General Motors um, safety and security features. Um, for example, if you get in a crash, if you pay for uh, the right sort of tier of OnStar, they will automatically dispatch someone to uh, come help you. Um, there are people that love that service and it gives them a real peace of mind and they love to pay for it for their children and for their parents. Um, so I think there is reason to believe that there people see some value here um, and automakers think that people are going to keep paying for it. I'm wondering if there's a framework for thinking about this whole situation that actually makes it seem not all that unreasonable, just to play devil's advocate. Like, is there a parallel for thinking about cars as software, as a service, something that actually makes sense as a model for recurring revenue. When you think about the fact that a decent number of Americans already do lease their cars, though that number has been dropping recently. But if you lease a car, if you buy a car, even thinking like it's not forever, aren't you already subscribing in a sense to a car? Yeah, I think there's a an interesting analogy here with smartphones, which automakers would love you to say that you think of your car as a smartphone on wheels. But what, you know, when you buy your phone, you don't think that's the end of paying for things related to your phone. You might decide to pay for a bunch of apps that gives your phone new functionality. Um, And it could be that a car is kind of the same thing. Could be. Someday. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm convinced by my own question, to be honest. (laughs) I'll surf into work on my Pixel tomorrow. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, All right. Thank you, Ariane, for this lively discussion. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. 
How does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, this is the last portion of our show where we go around the table and we each recommend a thing that our listeners might enjoy. Ariane, as our guest, you get to go first. What is your recommendation? Okay, I have a thematically appropriate uh, recommendation that is also has some business synergy. So get ready. So I have been um, prepping for Passover, which starts this week. Um, and I have uh, unwisely uh, agreed to host a lot of people at my home, which means I have to cook, which is not something I'm great at. Um, so I have really been leaning heavily on um, our sister Condé Nast publication, Bon Appetit, um, for recipes. And um, I I just made me realize how much I like using their recipes. And it's a, I just looked it up, a $50 print and digital subscription. Uh, I think you also get access to Epicurious, which is another Condé Nast brand. And I, I'm just finding their recipes uh, to be like not too hard, which is right up my alley um, and delicious. I will say some of their things that they say are good for Passover are not actually kosher for Passover. So if you're one of those people who cares about that, just keep your keep your eye out for that. Um, but I've, I've really been enjoying them t- lately. And I expect my check later, Condé Nast. <laughs> what, are, <laughs> what are some of the recipes that you're going with? Okay, so I'm making a matzah kugel. So instead of the noodles, you use matzah with mushroom and it calls for Swiss chard, but I think I'm going to use kale. Um, and I tested it last weekend. It was really delicious. Um, and then I'm making matzo ball soup, obviously, uh, but I have to make it vegetarian and they have a nice vegetarian option. And then we're making salmon and my husband's in charge of that. And I don't know what's happening there. <laughs> that sounds delightful. Yep. I wish I could join. <laughs> Come on down. Thank you. I could be your um your stranger that you invite in. Oh, that's right. Yes. I was raised Catholic. Um, I'm a bit of a recovering Catholic, you might say. But um, I have, in fact, joined Passovers before Adam Rogers invited me. Our fellow Wired One, Adam Rogers, invited me to a Zoom Passover during the pandemic. And it was really lovely. That's cool. Yeah. I have never it, been. Um, Ariane, I think Mike's looking for an invite. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, come on up. Okay, I'll bring all my vegan recipes with me. <laughs> that really sounds wonderful. And that's a good recommendation. Bon Appetit is just it's great. Yeah. It's, it's like I'm doing a little, yep. you know, chef's kiss. Solid content. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of solid content, Lauren, what is your recommendation? My recommendation is a documentary. I finally got around to watching The Beauty and the Bloodshed, which is an Oscar-nominated documentary by Laura Poitras about Nan Golden, a photographer turned activist who in recent years has been most well known for her activism that helped take the Sackler name off of many art museums around the world and really brought attention to what the Sackler family did to perpetuate the opioid crisis. It's a really great documentary. It's on HBO Max and I highly recommend it. I think you can rent it elsewhere too if you don't have HBO Max. Oh, you can. Okay. I didn't realize that. But yeah. As always, I say on this show, if anyone needs an HBO Max login, let me know. <laughs> I, I think I might actually be out of logins to hand out. But, uh, but yeah, um, if you have to get it somewhere else, I recommend 
uh, renting it. I watched this also, mm-hmm. and I really loved it because I went into it thinking it was just like, you know, the Nan Golden Life story. And there is a lot in there about her and about her work, but also just like her community and her family is the stories that come out are just fascinating. It and really then, is. Yeah. And her modern day activism is really well documented, too. Right. The story of her work is really bookended by her family life, mm-hmm. what her upbringing was like and a very traumatic event that happened in her younger years and then really brings it back to that at the end and helps explain her drive and some of her activism. So it's an emotional documentary. And then I actually was not super familiar with her photography prior to this. And she's known for her slideshows. And part of the documentary is told through those slideshows. Uh, it's just, it's it's really well done. Yeah. So I recommend that. Yeah. I've been telling people, um, if you know nothing about Nan Golden or photography or the art world, it's still fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. What's your recommendation? Well... I would like to recommend a podcast. Okay. Uh, it's a podcast that is near and dear to all of our hearts here on on this on this show. Uh, it's called Have a Nice Future. I think I've heard of this. It is the new podcast from Wired, and I'm using my slot to to recommend it this week because it launches next week, and one of the hosts is you, Lauren Good. That is correct. You're co-hosting it with our editor in chief and global brand director Gideon Litchfield. And the two of you are talking to some really powerful and amazing people. I won't spill the beans here, but I'll just say that I've I've uh, heard a couple of the interviews and I know who's on the guest list and it's going to be a really wild ride. Thank you for your recommendation. Sure. That means a lot to me that you're taking up your slot that you would normally use for some kind of like vegan hamburger replacement or okay, let's not you know, get carried obscure away. Swedish pop rock Remember album. I'm being nice and, to and you. And you're recommending my new podcast. Remember that, that yes. It really does mean a lot, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> well, I just, I want to get the word out because I know it's a, it's a big deal to us at Wired and I know it's a big deal to you, but you know, it's new, so nobody knows about it. So let's use our platform. Yeah. It's been really, uh, we've been workshopping this for a very long time. Uh, It dates back to 2022. And Gideon and I have had a lot of conversations about it. We're working with really wonderful producers. This is also timed to the 30th anniversary of Wired as a magazine. And when we started thinking about the past 30 years and the origins of Wired and some of the tech optimism that was felt in the early years of the consumer internet and personal tech and how that has changed and how much our lives have changed over the past three decades, And the questions we have now about what feels like a very uncertain future, we started to think, like, why don't we why don't we make a show about it? Why don't we lean into some of the discomfort that we have around the future and ask some smart people who we know and who we talk to a lot for our jobs anyway, what they think about the future and basically what keeps them up at night. So it's a weekly interview show airing on Wednesdays. And yeah, I appreciate it if everyone gives it a listen. Yeah, I'll still be here. Smash that subscribe button and ring the bell. That's right. Give us a, a follow. I think you're supposed to say now on Apple Podcasts, follow it unless, oh, yeah. you're, unless you're paying for it and then you're subscribing to it because it's all about subscriptions. That's right. Yes. That's right. Have a nice future. Thanks. I hope you have a nice future too. Have a nice subscription. <laughs> Ariane, when are you launching your podcast? Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> Ariane in subscription cars with coffee. <laughs> yeah, that's good. If anyone just wants to start sending me money monthly, that we could make that work. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Noted. Uh we'll we'll put your Venmo in the show notes. Please. <laughs> 
But that is our show for this week. Thank you, Ariane, for joining us as always. Thanks, as always, for letting me hang out with you guys. It's always a blast. It's been such a pleasure having you. Come back again soon. Come visit us soon. Drive your little subscription car down here. (laughs) I'd love to. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you had feedback, you could find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Our producer is Boone Ashworth. We will be back next week. And until then, goodbye. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.